Welcome to the Circle City Cinema with your beloved host and the one and only Zach Griffith, a part of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome into Circle City Cinema. I'm your host, Zach Griffith, and thank you for joining me for another monologue. This time, X2, the sequel to my first monologue of X-Men. It's going to be a good one for you tonight. I got a lot for you guys. We're going through the plot. We're going through some production, some comedy, of course. Uh, Who got it the worst, if you remember from previous Circle City Cinema episodes? We're going to get into whose death or what injury uh, (laughs) was the worst here. But, uh, you know, as always, we got some news for you. Got some news for you. House of the Dragon begins filming in April, the much-anticipated Game of Thrones prequel series. Folks, let me tell you, I'm watching Game of Thrones right now for the first time. And I'm not even done. I'm about to finish season five. I'm not even done with the series. And I'm already hyped for this show because if you know anything about Game of Thrones, I won't spoil it, but it seems like from what I've seen and read, this series is going to focus on the Targaryens. So hence the title. I'm all in on that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Begins filming in April, scheduled to release next year. So keep your eye out for House of the Dragon if you're a Thrones fan as I am becoming one. Joe Russo, you might know him, co-director of Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame, uh, one half of the Russo brothers, wants to take a crack at Wolverine in the MCU. I'm all for this, but not right now, if that makes any sense. I, I want... You know, because I think I mentioned this in my previous X-Men pod. I want uh, Logan to simmer a little bit. Uh, You know, that movie only came out four years ago, which, you know, seems like a long time. And it is in some ways, but for movies, it's, it's really not that long. I just want the character to simmer because Hugh Jackman was so good and Obviously, Hugh Jackman is going to be a focal point in this monologue today, but I, I'm curious to see what Joe Russo, where he goes with this, because obviously the guy, from what I've seen, he's very faithful to the source material. Winter Soldier is probably the best example of this in terms of the tone of the movie matched the book very well. Civil War, there were obviously elements that took from the Civil War comic book. But uh, it wasn't straight ripped from the pages like Winter Soldier felt like. Still a great movie, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't to that level that Winter Soldier was. Joe Russo, in many ways, one of the, him and his brother Anthony, probably the uh, foundational directors in the MCU, especially considering they did Infinity War and Endgame, which are undoubtedly the two biggest installments of the whole saga so fuck yeah i'd trust him with wolverine i trust him with anything if i mean no offense to captain america but look at what he did with captain america a lot of people you know captain america was often laughed at in the books 
especially for his costume and, you know, just that general patriotic Boy Scout attitude. But the way he humanized and made Captain America appeal to a mass audience, I I can't even imagine what he'd be able to do with Wolverine. But I would just, you know... I would want to slow it down a bit. I don't. I don't want to see Wolverine for a while. In my in my opinion, I get I get the people that want to see him now, but in my opinion, slow it down with Wolverine. Let it simmer. Let Hugh Jackman's performance keep getting its due. Uh, Netflix news: Chappelle's show is back on Netflix. It was off there for a couple months. Uh, something like. Uh, I don't know the whole story. I've only read bits and pieces here and there, but Dave Chappelle was owed something by Comedy Central, which is the network Chappelle show uh, originally aired on. And uh, he wasn't consulted about the streaming rights to Chappelle show. So Netflix quickly took it off once that came to light to, you know, avoid scandal, avoid getting on Chappelle's bad side because them and Chappelle, they've had a very profitable relationship so far. With stand-ups and now with Chappelle's show, so good to see it back on there. Good to see it back on there. I, I I had been binging it when it was on there, and I was shocked to log in one day and find it was not on there anymore. But now it's back, and I'm probably gonna finish the binge. So there you go. So that's that's really all the news we had today. Um, but upcoming on Circle City Cinema, I got a lot planned for you guys. At some point in the next couple weeks, I'm going to finish this trilogy, but X-Men The Last Stand, X3, will not be a monologue. I will be joined by my good friend, my brother, Cooper Ogle, who has joined me for Tenet. He has been on, he joined us for the uh, Raimi trilogy uh, last year, so he is of he is of the school of thought that X3 is the best of the original trilogy. And once again, he is wrong. But I'm going to let him come on and try and defend himself. He uh, he, he tells me he's put together quite the defense. Quite the defense. This is a man who's thinking about going to law school and what better way to prepare than by defending a shitty movie. So he's going to come on and try to defend it with me. X on the Last Stand with Coop. That is coming soon. But the big one, folks... Fast and Furious 9 coming out in May and I will be joined by a revolving door of guests including Devin Voss, Bryce Shaddy, and JD Hall, my running hook brothers none of whom shockingly have been on Circle City Cinema yet. They have yet to make their debut my Battleground brothers Bryce and JD and my former classmate Devin Voss all big fans of the Fast and Furious franchise, as am I, we are going to be going through every installment of the Fast Saga, counting down to the release of F9. We're going to start. Um, I'm planning next next week, the Fast and the Furious with me, Bryce, and Devin, and then Too Fast, Too Furious after that with Devin and JD. So... It'll never be the same for you guys. Um, I will always be here, of course, but the revolving door of Devin, Bryce, and JD uh, will not stop, and they're going to be on 
for every all eight installments of the Fast Saga. We will not be talking about Hobbs and Shaw though, because um, no, no, we just won't be. We're just focusing on the main saga, and then all of us will be on to preview F nine in a special commemorative episode. So that is coming for you, people. It uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Those are three great personalities. Obviously, if you listen to the battleground, you know the chemistry we have. Me, Bryce, and JD, but can't wait to talk about it. All those three guys, they're, they're very passionate about Fast and Furious. It's some of their favorite movies, and I, I can't wait to talk about it. Can't wait to dive in. And then, of course, on the horizon, I've hinted at this. I don't know why I haven't dove into it yet, but uh, it's coming. The favorite movie series, where I'll be bringing all members, I hope, of the Running Hook Network onto Circle City Cinema to discuss their favorite movie. And I'm going to start with Caleb Lynn, whose favorite movie, believe it or not, folks, is coming to America. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when he told me. I, I, I honestly could not believe that was Caleb's favorite movie. Bryce will follow Caleb with Inception, and Alex will follow Bryce with Goodwill Hunting. So check those out, folks. Those will be coming for you. I hope. I hope to start that series, uh, if not before the month is out, then definitely in March. Definitely in March. So... Check those out. Caleb with Coming to America will be the first installment in that trilogy. Uh, but the focus of today's episode, X2. X2, ladies and gentlemen, released in 2003. Directed by Brian Singer, who returns after directing the first installment. Produced by Lauren Schuler Donner and Ralph Winter. Written by Michael Doherty, Dan Harris, and David Hader. Story by Zach Penn, David Hader, Brian Singer. Cinematography by Newton Thomas Siegel. Edited by John Ottman. Music by John Ottman. Starring Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Halle Berry, Fonky Jansen. 407 million on a 125 million budget. Destroyed, especially by 2003 standards. 7.4 out of 10 IMDb. That feels a little low. Feels a little low, especially because I think this was better than the first one. Roger Ebert got it right this time. Three out of four stars on his website. 2003 was a pretty good movie year. Um, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, rightfully so, won Best Picture. And I think to this day still has the record for most biggest Oscars sweep in history. I'm pretty sure. And I, I'd be shocked if that wasn't the highest grossing movie of this year. X2, though, $407 million in 2003. That is nothing to scoff at, folks. That is very, very impressive. I think when I gave my pre-MCU movie rankings last episode, this was second behind Spider-Man 2, and I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to stick with that. I think this was probably the most emotional entry in the original X-Men trilogy. Um, I'll get into it later, but this did a great job of setting up Wolverine as probably the main character of the whole franchise. Introduced the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to some degree, introduced us to more important mutants that were omitted from the first movie, like Nightcrawler. So, you know, it's just, it's going to be great to talk about tonight, and I can't wait to get started. Getting into the plot... 
This movie opens up uh, <laughs> with a bang. The Nightcrawler ambush <laughs> at the White House. This is a textbook intro to Nightcrawler. Now, he does have spurts in the books where he goes a little AWOL, you know. He he he, he uh, goes his own way, but none where he tries to assassinate the sitting president. And we learn later in the movie that he was under... Uh, under the influence, if you will say. This is it's still a textbook intro to the character in terms of what he can do, his abilities, his powers. Probably the most famous teleporter in the Marvel Universe, and he was supposed to be in the first movie, was cut for budget reasons, but goddamn, they did him justice in this one. I'm not a huge fan of Nightcrawler in the prequel X-Men movies, but... It, Alan Cumming, who played Nightcrawler, did a hell of a job. And this will, if you're talking about best opening scenes in comic book movies, there's a few that come to mind, right? It is Iron Man when he's in Afghanistan and the uh, the uh, truck blows up. It is this when Nightcrawler storms the Oval Office. It's the Dark Knight, the bank robbery. You know stuff like that. That that's that's what pops up, and I, I just uh, I never get tired of seeing this. Like if I'm if I'm scrolling through YouTube, folks, and this comes up on my recommended, you know damn well I'm tapping on it. I'm watching it. I'm watching the three minutes. I'm gonna be enthralled for the whole time. It's awesome. Moving on. Logan at Alkali Lake. We'll get. Uh, I got a whole paragraph and more on this later. Logan, of course, at Alkali Lake because Professor X sent in there to get quite to get uh, questions answered about his past. And Alkali Lake, of course, comes <laughs> is uh, the resting place for uh, one of our favorite mutants at the end of this movie. But we'll get back. We'll, we'll get into it later. And then uh, we move into the museum. Museum, Professor X freezes everyone. Um, Jean kind of goes haywire here. We get uh, the seeds being planted about her Phoenix personality. Uh, she waves it off. She says, "You know, this has been happening for a while. I, they're a little out of control, but nothing I can't handle." And Scott, of course, is upset and they embrace, they hug. Scott says he would never let anything happen to her. And, uh, well, he kind of does. He kind of does at the end of this. Now he didn't let it happen to her. She did it to herself, but I'll, I'll save it for, for the end. William Stryker introduced as, you know, other than Magneto, the main villain of this trilogy, and he's only in one of the movies. Again, another textbook intro. I mean, this guy, you get that slimy feeling right away. This guy is a villain. He is not looking out for anyone's interests but his own. Mystique shows up as Senator Kelly, who, of course, as we all know, has evaporated into nothingness. And William Stryker has brought photos of the X-Mansion, to show to the president and Senator Kelly himself. He knows Charles Xavier and Cerebro and something is afoot 
at the X Mansion. He knows everything is not what it seems. And one of the photos shows the famous X-Men jet. And the president, reluctantly, Shelby, it should be said, authorizes a raid on the X-Mansion led by none other than the man himself, William Stryker. Charles then uses Cerebro with Logan, and he explains it, really, to us for the first time, the extent of its power. In the first installment, we knew it was a powerful machine when Jean Grey, who is an Omega-level mutant, says, my mind is too weak to do that. So, we get two things here. We realize, wow, Jean's pretty powerful, but like Gene is really powerful, but Professor X must be on another level if he's the only one who can operate that machine, Cerebro. And turns out to be the case. We get a full explanation of what the machine does for the first time. Cerebro allows Professor X to locate not only all the mutants on the planet, but all the humans as well. And this comes into play yeah, really importantly later in the film. It becomes the focal point of the film, you could argue. Moving on, Mystique infiltrates William Stryker's office. Now, as we learned in the previous film, Mystique is an expert at infiltrating places she's not supposed to be in. She she does it twice in this movie. Um, she infiltrated the X-Mansion <laughs> in the first movie, so it's not too difficult for her to do. Kind of nice Easter egg here. When she's looking through the mutant database that Stryker has on his desktop, we see the name LeBeau Remy. And Remy LeBeau, of course, is Gambit, who unfortunately we see in X-Men Origins Wolverine at two. It's uh it's just a total dumpster fire. But we we see we see that name and it's it's cool because Gambit was a major player in the X-Men cartoons in the 90s. And if I'm building my own X-Men Dream Team, Gambit is, you know, he probably makes the cut. And I just thought it was nice to see his name on there. Just get him, give him a little love, a little love, even if it was like three seconds. Uh, she gets in, she gets some info on Magneto's prison. He's being held in a plastic prison. So it, it's pretty much impossible for him to break out. But she also stumbles upon Stryker's new plans for the new uh, Cerebro. Now this is, uh, you see the blueprints and then you see it later in the movie. This is like a dime store Cerebro. This is a really, uh, it's really a half-ass Cerebro. It's it's really bad. It's really bad. But she is clearly not supposed to have stumbled on those and she steals the plans. Gene and Storm go to confront Nightcrawler who they have been sent to confront by Professor X. Professor X having trouble tracking Nightcrawler. We don't know why. He's usually able to lock in on any mutant he wants. Well, we find out. Or the characters find out. We knew this already. Nightcrawler is a teleporter. So no wonder the professor was having trouble locking in on him. He's never in the same place for more than three seconds. And now he has found solace in a church in Boston where Gene and Storm find him where he reveals he couldn't control the attack. He didn't remember doing it. The first, the last thing he remembers was chilling in the church. Professor X then visits Magneto in the jail. We have more Logan hints. Um, the Logan hints 
referencing his past just littered in this movie and a little bit in the previous one Magneto reveals his betrayal Magneto reveals that Stryker came to visit him in the prison wanted to know about Cerebro wanted to know about the mansion the school and Magneto told him everything because I don't know what exactly it is, but Stryker has this, he has this, uh, like, I don't want to call it, he has a vial of some liquid where if he drops it on the back of a mutant's neck, he can make them do anything he wants. He did it with Nightcrawler, he does it here with Magneto when he makes him tell him about Cerebro, about the mansion, about the X-Men, about all that stuff. So Magneto reveals that, hey, I didn't have a choice. He pinned me down. He did the drops on my neck. I had to tell him. He's very powerful. And Magneto, I kind of felt like he was legitimately sorry that he uh, didn't want to betray his old friend. But his actions later in the movie, especially near the climax, uh, would would uh, go against that uh, <laughs> that narrative for a little bit. <laughs> The famous raid on the X-Mansion. This is an awesome, an awesome sequence because it's the first time in the series where Wolverine is just unleashed. And fun fact here, this movie was rated R originally for this scene. The The rating system thought this, this scene was so violent with Wolverine taking out the SWAT team that it had to be rated R. So they had to go in and post-production and, you know, lighten some things up so we could get the PG-13 rating. But, you know, we ended up getting an R-rated Logan movie anyway, so it worked out. But still, a great, a phenomenal, a phenomenal raid on the X-Mansion. Just a great scene because Wolverine says, fuck it. I I think I counted uh, 14 kills for Wolverine. 14. <laughs> it's amazing. We got our first Colossus look. I gotta say, looked better than Deadpool Colossus. And we only got it for like two minutes, but he looked better than Deadpool Colossus. And then Logan gets the encounter with Striker. Striker, you know, reveals that, hey, I know you, Logan. You're a survivor. Come with me. I'll give you all the answers you want. I'll answer all your questions. And part of us is like, yeah, go with him. You get your answers. We get our answers. But the big part of us is saying, fuck this guy. They shot. The first thing they did when they broke in was they shot a kid. Fuck him. Get out of here. Go with Rogue. Go with Iceman, Pyro. Go. Go. Leave. That's what he does. He steals Scott's car because fuck him. Moving on, Mystique seduces the hopeless bastard who has been guarding Magneto at the plastic prison. Another submission for dudes down bad, which I just learned got suspended from Twitter. And that's a shame because this would have been a great submission. This dude... The line in the scene is bottoms up and he drinks it and the pills go down and he gets bodied. 
bodied. Stryker then explains his grudge against Charles after kidnapping him from the plastic prison. Jason, Stryker's son, was once a pupil of Charles. And Stryker thought it was a disease and not a gift, as, as Charles sees it. Jason caused the death of Stryker's wife and his own mother. And this has caused William to just go down a path of destruction that he never returned from. He was already a bad dude, but this really sets things down a road that he can't come back from. Charles is legitimately pissed off because Jason was once a student of his. And now he's just, he's, a, he's no offense to Jason, but he's a thing. He's a thing now. He's being used by his father to uh, achieve his goals. And Charles is disgusted. And we see how powerful Jason is because one look at Charles and Charles is uh, fucked. He's fucked. He, his powers are significantly diminished. He is allowing, you know, Jason is entering his mind as a little girl, as we'll come to find out later. So Jason, another Omega level mutant and being used for really uh, abhorrent purposes in, in, in this. Um, then we get Logan and the gang at Iceman's house. Bobby, a.k.a. Iceman, his parents think he's at a boarding school. So when they when he shows up unexpectedly at their house with fellow mutants, they're, you know, justifiably shocked. I mean, they, they, they didn't expect this when they got home from the grocery store. Um, Bobby explains his mutation to the family. He even shows it off a little bit, freezes his mom's uh, tea. And the brother, Ronnie, calls the cops like a schmuck. Um, Ronnie is a cuck, and he's a schmuck, and he's a fuck. And all those things rhymed because I wanted them to. Ronnie sucks. He sucks ass. And I hope he is happy with what he did. Because his family was left in ruins. His house was left in ruins. And I hope he sees what he did. Okay. Moving on. Magneto escapes the plastic prison. Shows how little metal he needs to wreak havoc. The pills Mystique gave the prison guard contain iron. Magneto smells this out right away. Sucks the iron out. And uses the three little marbles of metal to escape this prison that probably took millions of dollars to construct and prevent this exact thing from happening. Doesn't matter. Gets out in like 10 seconds. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Magneto just showing off his power here. And then we get the ambush at Iceman's house. Logan gets domed by a cop. After the cop tells him to lower his knives, which of course are his claws, so he can't lower them. The ambush goes sideways for the cops very quick because Pyro, who later joins the Brotherhood, wrecks the cops, uses his lighter to set everything aflame and ablaze. Rogue is the only one capable of stopping Pyro. She has to suck his life force out by touching his ankle to 
put an end to the carnage. Bobby, with the sad moment, he, as they're leaving, they look back, Bobby looks back at his family in the window and knows that he's never coming back. That his life with his family and any chance of them accepting him is over. And it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad because he came thinking that that was a safe place for him and his friends. That they could stay there while the mansion was under attack. Turned out to be the polar opposite. It's it's really a sad moment when uh, he looks back at his family and they're just kind of disapprovingly looking down at him in the front yard. And he knows that that's not his family anymore. His family is Rogue and Wolverine and, you know, the X-Men. It's It's over for him. Jason uh, then begins messing with Xavier's mind. As I mentioned earlier, he he uh, has the ability to create illusions in his victim's head. Jason Stryker does. He uh, he enters Xavier's mind, setting up the illusion that they're in the X mansion, and he poses as a little girl who is hiding out of fear in the mansion. Professor X, being the good guy that he is offers to help the girl who wants to know what Cerebro does. And of course, Charles, not knowing any better in this fantasy land, decides to take Jason, a.k.a. the girl, and do Cerebro. The jet, the X-Men jet, then becomes under fire. Uh, (laughs) They enter a... They found that Professor X is is, uh, located at Alkali Lake, where Stryker is building the fake Cerebro, the new Cerebro. Uh, the jet, of course, it's an Air Force base, so it's a no-fly zone. The Air Force sends up two fighter pilots who are able to shoot down the X-Men jet, but not after Gene takes out one of the jet's uh, missiles telepathically and after Storm fucks him up with some tornadoes. We get the Phoenix Force in her eyes, in Jean's eyes. We don't see it again until later in the film. We see it, I think we see it twice. We see it when she's fighting the uh, hoax, the faux Cyclops who is under mind control just as Nightcrawler was. And we see it at the end when she decides to save the X-Men. Magneto saves their ass. He stops the plane from crashing into the ground. And they team up. And it's, uh, you know, it, it works. They get everyone out. But, of course, Magneto has to be a schmuck and take the helicopter they were using. Mystique, as Wolverine, infiltrates the base. Here's another case of Mystique infiltrating just wherever the hell she wants. Stryker, of course, recognizes this right away. He says, if there's one thing I know better than anyone, it's my own work. And he says, shoot it. And they uh, open fire. Stryker's troops open fire on Mystique as Wolverine. And Charles Xavier, meanwhile, in his fantasy world that Jason has created, takes Jason into the new Cerebro. And we begin the quest to save Charles from Jason's control. Stryker tells Jason to have Charles lock in on all mutants and kill them all. And Charles, not knowing any better in Jason's reality, says, all right, let's do it. So n- not not good, not good for the mutants. 
Cyclops were were full uh, infiltration here by the X Men on Stryker's base. Cyclops under Stryker's control attacks Gene. Gene has to resort to her Phoenix Force tactics to snap him out of it, but in doing so, she cracks the dam that the base is located in, and water starts leaking in. Stryker knows they're fucked. He knows he has to get out of there. And then we get one of the best fights in really any any Marvel movie, Logan versus Lady Deathstrike. Um, he enters the lab where he became Wolverine, where the adamantium was grafted onto a skeleton, and we get flashbacks of this experiment. Striker hints at it some more and really just a savage, savage battle, as you would expect between two adamantium laced people. Wolverine, as we know, is a savage anyway. We saw this when he fought Sabretooth in the last movie, but now he's met his match. Lady Deathstrike is made out of the same stuff he is. She has the same healing factor. It doesn't matter what he does. I mean, she gets some good licks in. And it's these kinds of things, the flashbacks he gets when he enters the lab that leave you wanting more Wolverine aspects in the original trilogy. And I'm going to get into that later. I've got a scripted part later that uh, really, I think, sums up what this movie did for Wolverine and how it set him up as the main character in the franchise. But just a savage, savage fight by Logan and Lady Deathstrike. This is another one of those where if I'm scrolling YouTube and this comes up on the recommended, I'm going to fucking watch it. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yes. Logan ultimately comes out on top, sucks the adamantium out of Lady Deathstrike, and she dies a bad, bad death. Magneto stops Charles from killing the mutants, but sets him on the humans in Cerebro. He then decides to leave Charles. And it really is because you think part of you thinks Magneto was going to save Charles. Um, And it really is just a shame that he didn't. But, um, I, I don't know. I, just part of me thought he was going to save Charles and it didn't happen. It just shows you how far gone Magneto is and how far apart him and Charles are in terms of their, uh, way of combating the bias against mutants. I mean, it's really, it really a chasm now. I mean, you can't, you can't come back from it. Wolverine stomps Stryker as Stryker is trying to escape the base which is about to be flooded by god knows how much water striker taunts wolverine and says you gotta save me how else are you gonna find out about your past i was there logan you're my greatest creation and this wolverine you feel he's tempted he's tempted but wolverine of course never wavers says if you die or if we die you die and that's exactly what happens chains him to the helicopter and um uh yeah, he ultimately dies. Nightcrawler and Storm save Charles. Nightcrawler, who has claimed the whole movie that he can't teleport to a place he can't see, does it now. Comes through in the clutch. Nightcrawler takes Storm in to save Charles. She freezes Cerebro to knock Jason out of the reality. They save Charles, leave Jason for dead, because fuck him. 
Magneto and Mystique take Pyro. He joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We'll see him again in X3. And then Gene, in what is undoubtedly the most emotional moment, maybe in any Marvel movie up to this point in time, in 2003, dies. Fucking dies. Gene Grey dies saving the X-Men. And Wolverine and Cyclops, who have been at odds ever since they met each other in the first movie, they embrace here. And it's a sad embrace because they both loved Jean. And she's gone. And Wolverine says so, says she's gone. And Scott can't handle it. He he, he goes into uh, just, he, he can't handle it. And X3 did, a, X3 did do a good job of, God, I hate I hate even saying that, but X-Men The Last Stand did do a good job of conveying how Gene's death affected Cyclops. There, I said it. I said it. X3 did a good job of something. But the embrace is very telling because it shows how the whole group is affected. You know, differences aside, personalities aside, one of our own's gone. And we have to unite because of this. So that's really the plot. And um, like I said, I thought it was out of the pre-MCU movies. I think it's the second best behind only Spider-Man 2. Um, I think it's, you know, not counting the Wolverine standalone movies. I think it might still be the best X-Men movie. Depends what you think of Days of Future Past. But I think it's close. And it very well could still be the first X-Men movie. The best X-Men movie. One thing I will say is, I don't know if it was just the TV I was watching it on or, or what, but the effects weren't as good as I thought they'd be. I thought they would hold up better. Again, could just be the TV I was watching on, but that's kind of the feeling I got. I watched it on Disney Plus and um, I don't know. That could be why. I, I don't know. It just, or maybe they're just bad. Maybe they're just bad, you know. Some comedy, some questions. <laughs> so, in the first movie, right, there's a massive attack on Liberty Island. And the Secret Service, unless they're totally oblivious, had to have seen this, had to have known this was coming. They didn't install any kind of protocols to protect the president against mutants in that time. What the fuck? <laughs> Nightcrawler is in the Oval Office in like two minutes. Probably less. And I guarantee it's less. He's in, <laughs> he's in there so quick. Oh, jeez. Logan meets Iceman. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of awkward. It is a little sex reference, I will say. I think it, we were led to believe Logan was asking, "How do you guys kiss?" Now that I'm older, I can read it as, "How do you guys fuck?" But you know. <laughs> <laughs> read into it like you will. Another, another comedy bit. Scott is still a dick. 
Um, that hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> Logan smoking in the Cerebro room. <laughs> and Charles gets a little threat off. Says, continue smoking in here and you'll spend the rest of your days under the belief that you're a six-year-old girl. Logan quickly puts the cigar out in his own hand, which is kind of cool sequence, I should say. Uh, The kid who can change channels on the TV with his eyes. How much money has he blown on the TV? How many pay-per-views has he bought? How many movies has he bought on the DVR, on, uh, on demand? How many? That's what I want to know. How much money? I mean, let's be honest. It's probably Charles's credit card connected. How much money has been blown by that kid? That's that's just all I want to know. That's all I want to know. Never saw that kid again. I wonder if he died. I don't know. Iceman chills Logan's Dr. Pepper. First off, great branding for Dr. Pepper. And I just thought this was really cool. (laughs) I don't know. It's some more comedy. Mystique as Gene tries to bang Wolverine in the tent. Um, Logan, you're a better man than I. That's all I will say. Who got it the worst? Undoubtedly, Lady Deathstrike. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I mean, got the adamantium sucked out of her and then dropped to the bottom of water. That is undoubtedly the worst some other cases the entire cop unit that came out to bobby drake's house that is a tough beat for them uh jason striker trapped under fucking rubble and water and cerebro william striker drowned uh but i gotta go with lady death strike that just it was it looked like a very painful death very painful uh and now the scripted part that I've been um, hinting at, X2, I think, really sets up Wolverine as the main character in the franchise. And here is why, folks. Of all the various intertwining storylines in the original X-Men trilogy, there is one that stands out above all the rest. The mystery surrounding Wolverine's adamantium skeleton and the experiment that took his memories away. With the seeds planted in the previous installment, like Professor X's aid in Logan's quest and the journey to Alkali Lake, fans were left wondering for three long years, what would Logan find? Finally, in X2, more clues are thrown Wolverine's way. With the arrival of William Stryker, a mysterious figure from Logan's past, and the only one who seems willing to give him some straight answers, the angsty aura clouding his ambiguous history strengthened even more. Out of the three original films, it's X2 that leaves fans and Logan himself wanting to know more about Weapon X's past. It's X2 that sets up Wolverine as the main character in the franchise going forward and made the wonderment of his mutation and the story behind it inarguably the most intriguing plotline in this overarching X-Men tale. It's... You know, I kind of hinted at it last episode, how frustrating X-Men Origins Wolverine is, but this this movie is the one that made it really frustrating because everything was here. 
everything was here. The flashbacks, striker, adamantium. It's all there. It's all there. And it's really just... That part of it is frustrating when you rewatch this movie because X-Men Origins should have been, you know, if they did it right, should have been the best movie in the saga. And it just, it just wasn't. And for all the reasons I just said, X2 sets up Wolverine as the main character in the franchise, which, you know, that really had not been decided in X-Men, the first movie. Um, That was more of a team-up movie. I mean, obviously, I think you can make a case Rogue was probably the main character of that movie. But this is the one that really sets up... Because really, Rogue is not really in this movie. I don't know how much screen time she has, but it doesn't feel like much. It doesn't feel like much. Logan dominates this movie. Totally dominates it and did a great, great job of setting him up as the main character, the main guy in this franchise going forward. Some more uh, cool things about this movie. we got a Hank McCoy cameo on the TV uh, giving an interview about mutants. That was pretty cool. Some new mutants that showed up. Obviously, Nightcrawler, Pyro, Colossus, Lady Deathstrike, and Jason Stryker. A lot of new faces in this movie. And tonight's character spotlight to wrap things up. I'm trying to keep this one a little shorter tonight. So to wrap things up, our character spotlight is none other than Nightcrawler, the breakout star of this movie. Who else could it be, folks? Who else could it be? Nightcrawler, who, as I said, or I think I said that about Gambit, but I'll say it now. Nightcrawler undoubtedly on the dream team of the X-Men. Just un- undoubtedly. And once again, folks, reading straight from the Marvel Encyclopedia, Nightcrawler, the demonic face of the X-Men. His real name? Kurt Wagner. His occupation? An adventurer. His base? Xavier Institute. In New York State, he is five foot nine, hundred ninety five pounds. Yellow eyes with no pupils, hair indigo, skin indigo. His powers: the mutant power to teleport himself, his clothing, and a limited amount of additional mass by traveling through another dimension. When he teleports, part of the atmosphere of that dimension escapes onto Earth, accompanied by a bamf sound and the smell of brimstone. So here we go. Nightcrawler. Kurt Wagner is the son of Azazel, a mutant who resembles a demon and the shape-shifting mutant Mystique. When Kurt was born in Bavaria, Mystique posed as an ordinary human and married a German baron, Eric Wagner. The local populace was horrified by newborn Kurt's demonic appearance. He had pointed ears, three fingers on each hand, two toes on each foot, and a tail. Pursued by a mob, Mystique threw the infant down a waterfall. Azazel saved the baby, who was raised by gypsy sorceress Margali Zardos. Kurt grew up in a Bavarian circus where Zardos was a fortune teller. The circus performers accepted Kurt as part of their family. His best friend was Zardos' son Stefan, 
and Kurt fell in love with her daughter, Jemaine. With his great agility, Wagner became the circus's star acrobat and trapeze performer. No surprise there, folks. Audiences assumed that his inhuman appearance was merely a costume. Little did they know. However, when Texas millionaire Amos Jardine bought the circus, he insisted that Wagner be exhibited as a freak. Outraged, Wagner quit the circus. Two nights later, he battled Zardos' son, Stefan, who had become a serial killer and accidentally killed him. Believing Wagner was a demon and responsible for the murders, a mob would have killed Wagner, but Charles Xavier, Professor X, arrived and immobilized the crowd with his telepathic powers. Xavier recruited Wagner into his second team of X-Men, Wagner taking the name Nightcrawler. He was reunited with Jemaine, now calling herself Amanda Sefton, and was reconciled with Margali Sardos, who had blamed him for Stefan's death. Nightcrawler later became a founding member of Excalibur, but he returned to the X-Men after that group disbanded. He studied to become a priest, but was never ordained. That's really hinted at in this movie. It did a good job of it. He learned the identities of his parents and that Mystique's foster daughter, Rogue, was his foster sister. He met his half-brothers, Niles Steiger, a.k.a. Abyss, and Kiwi Black, and together they defeated Azazel, his father. When new X-Man Pixie stabbed Nightcrawler with her soul dagger, it was revealed that Magic's soul sword was hidden inside him. The X-Men then managed to free Magic from Limbo. Nightcrawler seemingly died rescuing Hope Summers from Bastion, but he later returned. There you go, folks. Nightcrawler, who I think undoubtedly wins this movie. He put on a hell of a show. And, folks, that's all I got for you tonight in X2. Like I said, X3 coming. Me and Coop are going to be talking about that one. That should be uh, banter-filled and interesting. As I said, the Fast and Furious saga with me, Devin, JD, and Bryce. That'll be coming soon. WandaVision, I think by the time this comes out, definitely. WandaVision Episode 6 recap will be out with me and Alex. We were joined by JD's good friend, good friend of the network, Chris Logan. So check that out. He will definitely be making more appearances on cinema. So check that out. Uh, what else we got? The Battleground will be back this week as I'm recording this tonight of February 13th on a Saturday. Battleground will definitely be back this week. Probably to talk about talking about the Super Bowl, talking about some NBA, talking about all that good stuff. Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour got you covered. Uh, they released one couple days ago talking about the Bulls, the Lakers, and the Sixers, so check that out. Running Hook, Lynn Sanity, keeping you posted on college basketball. Top, not much with uh, college football right now, but they'll they'll get something for you guys. And as always, folks, thanks for listening, and check us out on all your your uh, podcasting platforms. We got Spotify, which is what I used to listen we got Apple, we got Stitcher, we got Google, we got we got all the good stuff. So check us out folks and as always, 